You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 265 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm all right, Val. That's good. What's been happening in our world? Well, I'm a little bit above fair to middling, but sort of Uh, marginally. We should give um, a name to that, like a category, like, you know what I mean? So we know where you are on the scale. On the scale of fair to middlingness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Do you reckon there's a scale of that? Um, so here's the thing. Okay. Here's something that we need to talk about because oh. this is where <laughs> this is where I'm at with my life. Okay. Um, we so the Adaban Cipher novels, as you know, um, that I that it came out in Australia in at the end of 2017 and yes. the beginning of 2018. Yes. So they came out in the US in um, just before Christmas. Oh, cool. And being me, yes. I completely forgot to talk about them in our last episode. <laughs> so what I've done this week is I've actually uh, I've, I sent out a newsletter that uh, to – I sent out my monthly newsletter and uh, discussed it in that and I actually started to do some things about promoting the, the books mm. and um, it suddenly occurred to me that I needed to share the news with our podcast listeners. So – can I just say, this is why yes. I'm marginally above Feta Middling because, okay. you know, I should be very, very excited, but I'm so late with all this that I feel like I've misspoke. Um, the Adaban Cipher novels, The Book of Secrets and The Book of Answers, are out now in the US through publishers Kane Miller. And I will put a link in the show notes to those books. And I very much hope that US readers enjoy them and take them to um, their hearts as much as Australian readers have done. So that's I just needed to get that off my that's chest. Very I, I hope you're all all right with that. <laughs> that's very exciting. That's very exciting because I guess because the the excitement, like there's so much leading up to the initial release, the initial launch, that it can sometimes be easy to forget that it's being released in other countries. Well, that's exactly right. And it's one of those things too that this particular publisher likes an element of surprise. So there's not so much the, you know, it's not so much here's the cover and this is the date it's coming and all of that kind of stuff. Like the way that they operate is it comes out in their catalogues and it's out it's out there. Um, and only once that happens do they want their authors to share the news and stuff like that, which is all fine. Like it's great, like whatever works for you. But I... Um, I just found that it crept up on me and then it was Christmas mm. and then I was two, two weeks of not knowing what day it was and obviously that sort of like extended into my first week back at work because I completely forgot to mention it last week. So <laughs> there's there's that. Um, but, yeah, so it's it's one of, the, one of those. Uh, well, congratulations. That's very, things. very exciting. Very it cool. It is exciting. Thank you very much. 
Now, we have a great episode planned for you today because we will be talking to none other than Jane Harper, publishing mm. sensation. But before we get onto that, there are a few things we want to do. And the first thing is we want to give a big shout out to Danielle Story Writer, who has left us a review on iTunes. And she has called it a big thank you and has said, Hi, Val and Al. After listening to your podcast for a year or two, I took the plunge and signed up for the Australian Writers' Centre travel writing course soon after I did the freelance writing course as well. I love the podcast and have been so inspired by your conversations and interviews every week that I have reinvented myself and become a freelance travel writer. I've never been happier in my life. Thank you for everything, Danielle. Wow, I love that. I I just I'm I'm chuffed that somebody could say I've never been happier in my life. So I'm thrilled. Absolutely thrilled for you, Danielle. I love it too. And she's mm. she's reinvented, Val. You are the queen love, of reinvention. And yes. I love the fact that Danielle is following in your footsteps and, you know, <laughs> following her dreams because at the yes. end of the day, everybody has a thing that they think that they would really love to be doing, but not everyone is brave enough to take the step and get yes. out there and do it. And I and I think it's brilliant that Danielle's, you know, has taken the steps and she's out there and she's never been happier and that's mm. fantastic. And it's possible. And while it's not easy, it's easier no. than you think. It's easier than you think because people think it's impossible. The vast majority of people think it's impossible to change careers or, you know, pursue their actual dreams, but it's absolutely possible. Mm. Um, Anyway, good on you, Danielle. Thank you so much for leaving us that review. And if any of our listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it helps us in the rankings. And we're almost, we're also creeping up, aren't we, Al? Because we're almost coming up to our millionth download, which is... One million downloads. Pretty exciting. And that, like that, okay, that takes me beyond fair to middling. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, into, I'm into almost feeling a little bit excited by that. <laughs> I am excited by that. And it does help actually if you do leave us a review on rating or rating on iTunes, if you um, could help us get to our one million, we'd be, we'll be so excited and would be really very, very grateful. Yes. Um, now, we, uh, before we get on to our cool interview with Jane Harper, we've got a few more questions to answer in the Ask Me Anything that you guys uh, did for us last year. And a whole lot of people in the podcast Facebook group, and if you're not a member, if you're new to this, make sure you join. It's free to join. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer Podcast Community and um and request to join. It'd be great to have you in there. And every anyone in the group was able to ask us questions. And so we're going to go through a few of the questions now. So Michael ha- asked, why is it when you're raring to go, you can't go for raring? <laughs> is excusitis a rare disease or do others suffer the same excusitis excuses? Just wondering. <laughs> That's a cool question. I like it. <laughs> so... The answer to it is actually, Michael, that excusitis is probably a veritable plague, really. Yeah. Like it's 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 a viral sensation um, mm. and if we were to die of it, we'd all be gone. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, we do not die of it and that is a great thing. But what can die of it is your writing. Mm. Um, and so how do you get around it? You create a habit or a writing habit so that you're not sitting around waiting for those moments when you're raring to go. You are already writing things. And so those moments when you do have that brilliant, that genius, that wonderful moment where it all just comes pouring out of you, 
you are there, you are in position and you are ready to catch it, um, so to speak. Uh, so that's that. like it's honestly we, we talk about this quite a lot uh, so I do feel like I'm banging on but you know I do like to bang on about these things so I'm just going to go with it. Um, we discussed the fact that routine, uh, discipline, these are the foundations and the cornerstone of, of the professional writer's life, of a published author's life. It is not waiting to be raring to go. It is actually being in position when the rearing comes upon you. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, sitting down, doing the stuff. It's thinking about your manuscript when you're not at mm. your desk mm. um, so that when you do come to your desk, you know what you're going to do. It's about if it's if, the, if this is what floats your boat, it's about planning down to the 20,000-word spreadsheet if that's what's required. It's about finding what works for you. But what it actually comes right down to at the end of the day is routine and the routine. Yes is how you will find yourself inching incrementally forwards and not waiting for those moments when you're raring to go. I like that. Definitely routine is a huge, huge thing because if you just know that this is your writing time, then you will dedicate that to your writing time. But if you haven't quite got to that stage, yeah, excusitis is never going to go away. We all suffer from it. Uh, But I think that um, one of the things that I do, because I definitely suffer from it, is to trick myself. And I trick myself by saying, like, let's say I've got to write 5,000 words or whatever. Uh, I trick myself by saying, just do three minutes. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and and I don't think because 5,000 words seem so long, but if I just say just do three minutes of it, even if I'm just writing whatever, three minutes invariably turns to 30 minutes, which often then turns into two hours. It's like there's there's one guy, there's a nonfiction author in America um, called Peter Shankman, and he talks about um, how he gets himself into running because he, you know, uh, got fit in the last couple of years and um, – discovered running and lost a lot of weight and one of the things that he does and I would never go to this stage is he sleeps in his running clothes Mm. so that all he he has no excuse when he wakes up he just goes Mm. running I would never sleep in my running clothes I mean imagine sleeping in your sports bra and stuff that would be nuts but it's it's like getting yourself prepared as Al said so that you're ready and ready to go but even if you whether it's running you just you you, or or writing three minutes and invariably you're going to run or write more than three minutes so I just tricked myself Mm. let's move on to the next one Denise has asked could you talk about character driven stories and editing the second draft for this type of story okay so that's a good question and Mm. I think with that one is that you often when you write your first draft because the whole aim for the first draft really is to just get out a first draft because, you know, you can't work on something that doesn't exist. I think that when you're doing a second draft, it's not actually for character-driven stories, it's not just a matter of, you know, editing and tweaking and, you know, the usual things that come with a second draft. I think that separately to writing, uh, redoing or doing the, the second draft, you need to really think about and go much deeper into the development of your characters. That may well mean writing and or thinking about their history, their their relationships, their interrelationships and all that kind of stuff in a separate document that never ends up in the final story. Mm. But when you are doing character-driven stories, it's so, so important to go deep into the, each character or the main characters anyway 
and their relationships and the things that drive them, the things that motivate them, that how they would react to things and to know them quite intimately. And, and if you need help with that, I think that one of the best courses I've ever seen on developing your characters is our Fiction Essentials course called Characters. And it it gives you templates and it gives you real, really useful questions for you to answer so that you can get to know your characters really well. But importantly, get to know how they're going to react in certain situations so that you, um, so it's realistic on the page mm. when you write when you write them. And if mm. you want to find out more about that, go to writercenter.com.au slash characters. Mm. But do you do you have any what do you have to add to that, Al? What I have to add to that is that to me, this is an important exercise for any story because as far as I'm concerned, yes, well, plot yes. and character are so inextricably tied together mm. that you have to understand your character to make your plot work because your plot is driven by your character. Every single mm. thing that happens in that story comes back to your character making decisions yep. about things that are happening and every decision your character makes has to be true to that character and it also throws the story in a totally different direction. So that's why, you know, when people talk about when they're writing a story and it surprises them, it's because their character has made a decision and that's when you know your character is really coming to life because your character is making decisions and it's changing perhaps where you thought the plot might be going. So. Whether you think you've written a plot-driven story or you think you're writing a character-driven story, you need to understand that those two things are very, very, very inextricably entwined. Yes, very. That's all I would say. Yeah, really, really good point. And all hello right. to your puppy dog. <laughs> I know. So that was Groucho in the background, Hi, everyone. Yes, that's um, – say hello to Groucho. So sorry about that, guys. Um, probably the Star Trek man or someone is delivering a package. But anyway, mm. Belinda has asked, I know you have talked about pantsing and plotting before, but I'd love to hear Al's thoughts on how she responds to people who say that pantsing is inferior, inefficient, or who argue all pantsers should learn to plot. <laughs> oh, I laugh in their face. Like really? <laughs> like what? I, 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 those kinds of arguments just drive me crazy because at the end of the day, we write the way we write. And you know what? I have learned a lot about plot over the years of writing. I have learned a lot about plotting, but I have also learned. A, I've also learned as I've gone through, that an enormous amount of what I know about plotting is actually innate and it comes out through my writing anyway. I have mm. discovered that if I try to plot every detail of a story, I will inf invariably not finish the story because I already know what's going to happen or it will all go horribly wrong for me. Or I, and, and people will say to me, you know, I plot the story and then things change and I'm like, okay, whatever, if that works for you. But it's what works for you. That's my point. And so, you know, people say to me, you really should learn to do it this way. And I just go, yeah, whatever. And I go about it my own way because that's, you know, you need to know, you need to understand what you're not doing so you yeah. do need to understand the process of plotting and you do need to understand what, what you know, how incredibly frustrating the whole pantsing thing can be because you do find yourself in dark corners sometimes wondering, you know, how you're going to get out of there. So there are, you know, there are, there are pros and cons to both and essentially it comes back to who you are as a writer and it is an – I just feel that where you come on that line of pantsing versus plotting versus outlining in the middle versus whatever it is that you do, you it is the nature of you as a writer and mm. the worst thing you can do is fight it. 
So yeah. you basically, because, you know, I also speak to plotters who go, I just wish I could, blah, blah. And it's like, well, it doesn't work for you. Don't do it if yes. it doesn't work for you. So, you know, what you're basically trying to do, particularly with you writing your first manuscript and your second manuscript, and let's remember that before the first Mapmaker Chronicles book was written, I had written five full manuscripts. So mm. you need to remember that you are learning every single time you write a book, you are learning how you write a book. And that's, you know, that's all there is to it. And it's, sometimes it's going to take you. I can't remember who we spoke to. Maybe it was like Sylvia Day or someone back in the day, like a long time ago, mm-hmm. who said that you basically need to write three manuscripts, full manuscripts, to yep. learn how you write a book. And I, I kind of don't disagree with her on that because I think mm-hmm. that you really start to understand your own personal process once you've done it a few times. Mm. That is so So true. I laugh in their face, Belinda, <laughs> if that's the, if that's the, is that the answer that you were looking for? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Chelsea has said, I'd love to know methods you use for fleshing out a full story when you really just have a mere nugget of an idea or a character. Are there specific ways we can brainstorm or exercises to expand on the pebble we have? Well, one thing with that, and I'm not, this isn't planned or anything, but I mentioned the characters course. Yeah, but with I, would, that characters, I would definitely go back to that. That was, a, yeah. I, I think it, getting to know your character is a very, very good way to get to know your idea and your story. I think it's a really great starting point. When I, do, when I go and talk to kids about writing and when I teach the, you know, creative kids quest, um, mm. creative writing quest for kids, you know, it's that when you, when you're looking at starting points for story, your person, your character is always like going to be a terrific starting point for any story, I think. Yes, yes. And one of the things that, um, apart from getting to know your characters better in that course, is that it's actually ideal for people who have a great character in their head, but actually no story. So it's full of exercises on how to develop exactly that character into an actual story. All right. So Katia has said, do you have any tips for overcoming that saggy middle of the book when everything you write sounds terrible and the (laughs) ending feels impossibly far away and are we getting Val and Al merchandise soon? <laughs> Let's answer the first question first. So about the saggy middle owl, what do you reckon? Okay, so it's a big problem and it's something that everybody faces and there's not a single writer that I know who doesn't find themselves, you know, writing across the middle of a story thinking this is the worst thing that's ever been written in the history of the world and I can't believe I'm bothering um, because the middle is very, very hard. Um, so there are a couple of things that you need to do. You need to look at at the foundations of your story. You need to look at whether or not, you know, you, you've got a, a sufficient subplots going on to support the main arc of your story it comes back to your um to actually understanding the story structure you need to understand how many words it is that you're writing you need to understand where the middle of your book is you need to have a basic understanding of story structure to kind of um to get through that that Oh, that dreadful, dreadful big expanse in the middle. Um, and I am going to put a link in the show notes to a blog post that was written by the fabulous Kate Forsyth, who is, mm-hmm. you know, the plotting queen of the Australian Writers' Centre. Yeah. And she uh, wrote a post called How to Avoid a Saggy Middle. Um, it's on the Australian Writers' Centre blog and I am going to put it in the show notes for you to have a read because it's 
you know, she is someone who works very, very closely to story structure. She is someone who plots her all her stories out. You know, with the twenty thousand word spreadsheet I mentioned was Kate. Um, but you do you need to understand where the beats of a story are, and you need to understand the structure. And this is what I'm saying when I was talking about mm. the whole pantsing versus plotting thing. You know, you either innately understand that. Um, through thousands and thousands of millions of hours of reading or you need to actually like really work at it because it is how you get a story from start to finish without it sort of sinking in the middle and I'll put the link in the show notes for that. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. So the other really important question was, are we getting Val and Al merchandise soon? <laughs> Wonder what we would do if we had merchandise, Al. Well, we've discussed this in the past. Like we have talked about various things. <laughs> I think people can make suggestions for us in the in the group, uh, you know, but we've talked about, you know, <laughs> are you ready for the word of the week? We've talked about <laughs> notebooks. We've talked about T-shirts. You know, I feel like you should sort of put – and a burn off your pie recipe of some kind oh, yeah. you know, like there's different things that we could do but um we have got some ideas we'll, we'll put the question in the podcast group yeah. in facebook just to get your ideas um yeah. because this this makes me giggle to no end all right so um we will continue with uh, more questions in another episode uh but now i just want to talk about our competition because we have three copies of Three Little Lies by Laura Marshall, the next sensational psychological thriller from the author of Friend Request. When Sasha North comes into Ellen's life, Ellen falls under her spell, but she doesn't see the darkness that lies beneath their bohemian lifestyle. Not until a brutal attack changes all their lives forever. Ten years later, Ellen and Sasha share a flat in London, still bound together by that night. When Sasha disappears, Ellen fears the worst. What really happened that night? Who is telling the truth? These are the questions Ellen must confront when searching for her friend. But someone knows Ellen is looking and they don't want the answers coming out. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So if you want to win a copy of this psychological thriller, entries close on the 21st of January and go to writercenter.com.au slash win. That's writercenter.com.au slash win. Now, Al. Are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> oh, I'm so ready. You know, as I commented in the group this week, I I um, don't need a word of the year because I get a new one every single week. Excellent. So, Excellent. All right. So this week's word of the week is actually the word of the year for 2018, which has just been selected by the people at the Macquarie Dictionary. The thing is, it's actually two words, but maybe they're just better at writing than they are at maths. So it's me too. And here is what the selection committee said. While the Me Too movement took off in 2017 with hashtag Me Too, it has definitely maintained its momentum and in 2018 it started to spread its linguistic wings beyond the hashtag and the name of the movement, answering an obvious need in the discourse surrounding this social upheaval. So the fact that Me Too is now being used as a verb and as an adjective, combined with the undeniable significance of the movement, made the the committee's choice for the word of the year 2018 a fairly straightforward decision. So there you go, straight from the people at the Macquarie Dictionary. Who's our writer in residence? Well, you've already told everyone that it's Jane Harper. So we're just going to be excited about the fact that I got to talk to Jane Harper about writing. And I'm so excited about that because I am a big fan 
of Jane Harper. Um, so Jane Harper, of course, is the author of the international blockbusting bestsellers The Dry, Force of Nature, and her new one, which is called The Lost Man. Now, The Dry was one of those stories, you know, mm. those publishing stories of the decade that everyone mm. heard about. Um, and I would say, having read The Lost Man, which is her latest book, that it is a real like return to form. My friend Kate Pierce, who is a very hilarious uh, Twitter person blogger, um, she mentioned, she said she re- reviews books a lot and she was like, this is her favourite one. So, which is saying something because, of course, wow. The Dry was such a big, big book. Yep. Um, and I have to say, I think it's very, very clever, The Lost Man. So, if you haven't read it and you are a Jane Harper fan or even not, like a crime thriller fan, you know, have a look at it. But Jane's books are published in more than 35 territories worldwide. She wow. has one, like, all of the awards, um, including the CWA Gold Dagger Award for Best Crime Novel, the British Book Awards Crime and Thriller Book of the Year, the Australian Book Industry Awards Book of the Year. You know, she is she is all of the things. And so we have had a fantastic chat about um, about writing, about writing crime specifically, and about just what it's like to be Jane when, you know, her unpublished manuscript suddenly goes gangbusters. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Your first novel, The Dry, was published just two years ago in 2016, and even before it was published, became one of those novels that everyone was talking about. Can you tell us how that novel came to be published? Yeah, sure. So um, I'd always wanted to write a novel, you know, for years and years, I'd wanted to, I'd always been a really big reader, um, and it was something that was just ticking over in the back of my mind. But uh, I never really did much about it. I was working full-time as a print journalist, um, which was what I'd done my whole professional career. So it was quite hard for me, I guess, to find the motivation, the time um, to then you know, come home from writing all day at work and then you know, work on a, my own project. Um, but it sort of got to the point where I realized that, you know, for me, it was worth it. Like I really, you know, I wanted to do it. And it was worth the time and effort it would take. And um, so in 2014, late 2014, I um, started work on um, a novel, which eventually became The Dry. And um, I wanted to write something Australian and something that was a kind of book that I would like to read. And I worked on that and I entered that, um, that, that manuscript. I, I got three full drafts done um, in about six months. And I entered that manuscript in the Victorian Premier's Unpublished Manuscript Competition, which I won. And really from there, that was where I got a lot of attention from agents and publishers. And I got my agent and I got the um, publishing deal for Pam and Millen. So that's how... The wow. job I came to be on the shelves. Wow. So you said you did three drafts in six months. Were you still working full-time at that point? Yeah, absolutely I was. So um, I, I worked, um, you know, yeah, I worked at full, full, full-time on the newspaper. So I was writing a lot every day, but obviously for someone else. And I had to really just um, find that discipline to then work on my own stuff. So I used to get up an hour earlier or an hour later, oh, sorry, or um, – you know, when I got home from work, I would work for, you know, an hour when I got home um, and just try and build up that consistency and keep working on it. And, you know, and I think it was really important for me to have that consistency and see that project building up um, and give me that kind of motivation to keep on and, and try and push through to the end. And did you enter that competition was that I, I'm just working through the process here because it's the, uh, I also have a similar background of journalism and then you know writing in around things and then you know etc did you 
aim for that competition to give yourself a deadline? Was it something that you thought, if I get this done, I can enter it? Or was there, did you have other, how did you motivate yourself to actually do that three draft process? You know, absolutely. It was a deadline for me. And um, it's it's funny because I, I know um, I know how much any journalism has helped me when it's come to writing fiction and a big part of that was responding to deadlines and I um, entered that competition mainly because I knew roughly what time of year it came around every year and um, I and I also knew there was really nothing to lose you know I would I could work towards it and just use it as a, a really you know sort of internal goal for myself um, just purely to try and get it to the stage where I felt the manuscript was you know was complete and um kind of held together um, in a way that was, you know, accessible to, you know, to an outside reader. Um, and that was really the only stage I was aiming for, just to try and get something that I felt I could actually show to someone else for the first time. Because at that point, nobody else had read it other than me. Wow. Um, yeah, and my aim was really just to, um, to enter it. I thought maybe I would get some feedback and, um, you know, they'd say maybe it's, it's, it's worth pursuing or it's not really doesn't really make much sense it's not going anywhere um but either way I'd maybe get a little bit of information from that and that was um that was my only expectation really um that was the that was why I entered and did you fall over when you won like you know just (laughs) just between us did you fall over (laughs) oh you know I I so I remember so clearly um winning that competition and it was such it was such a pivotal moment for me and of all the things that have happened and have been some really great moments, um, that is still one of the best ones for me because I remember, you know, when, when, even when I found out actually I'd been shortlisted, I found out I was one of three shortlisted and even then um, I just thought, you know, like if I if I focus and if I really, you know, make the most of this opportunity, yeah, this could actually happen for me. Like this book could actually be published, you know, if I really – you know, take take advantage of this and, and, you know, take advantage of this kind of professional attention that this is suddenly getting. Um, how amazing this could actually happen. And it was, it was surreal. It was a surreal moment for me. Wow. So was it the first full manuscript that you'd ever actually completed or had you, because you said you were kind of fitting in writing around that as well. Was this the first thing that you'd ever actually gone, okay, I'm actually going to get to the end of this one? Yeah, it was. Um, and I'd never really written much fiction other than that um, at all. Right. Um, I'd written a short story which got published in the Big Issues Annual Fiction Edition um, a few months earlier. Um, sorry, it, probably mid-2014 that, that got published, I think. And that was partly what um, made me think, you know, I was so I was so delighted by that and so surprised that it got chosen for that, for that um, fiction edition that it um, made me you know, really inspired me to think, you know, maybe I, I, I really could focus and try and complete a whole novel. But before that, I hadn't I hadn't written any fiction. I mean, I'd written thousands and thousands of words of, you know, newspaper articles. Mm. Um, so I, I really did have a lot of discipline and I knew I could get words on a page. And I kind of knew how to structure a story, I guess, that kept readers engaged, you know, how to pull them in and how to kind of let the information um, come out in a way that's accessible and and, you know, the most sort of interesting way you can tell it. Um, but no, I hadn't, um, I'd, I'd never really even got beyond sort of just the idea stage in in, um, in any sort of fiction idea I'd ever had before. Wow. So why did you write a crime novel? Well, I didn't really set out to 
write any particular type of novel. Um, what I really thought I'd do, because I, I, I didn't really have any expectations for this manuscript when I started. Um, I really had got to the point where I thought, you know, I, I'm just going to try and do it for me. I, I just really want to get to the end. I've been thinking about it for years and years that I would love to write a book. Um, and, you know, and I think the the pressure that we put on ourselves of like, you know, if you put all this effort in and what if it doesn't get published and what if nobody likes it? And it, it can be so paralyzing. And it was only really when I was able to let that go. And I thought, I'm just going to write this actually really for myself. I'm just going to try and get to the end and I'm going to use it as a learning process and see, you know, see what it, what it involves and, and how I go with it. And I'm going to take whatever I, you know, I learned from that and then I'll try again you know, next time I'll be better and next time I'll be better after that, you know. So it was more of a kind of a learning process for me um, was how I approached it. Um, and I thought, well, if, you know, if it doesn't really, if I'm not really expecting anybody else to to necessarily even read this, I mean, I may as well write something that I enjoy, you know. So I wanted to write something set in Australia because I found, I thought the landscape was a real gift for writers. Um, and I wanted to write something with um, characters that you can, kind of get behind and um you know that I personally found engaging and I also wanted to write something with a bit of mystery and suspense because those are the kind of books that I like to read um and so that was that was kind of how the initial idea for the book came together wow so what is your process for writing a book like and has it changed like I guess you've now done uh, you're up to your third book The Lost Man which we're going to talk about in a little while but what was you know has your pro- process for actually getting those books written changed from when you wrote the first one to the way that you work these days so it has changed a bit yeah um I mean partly through practical reasons the fact that um when I wrote when I wrote The Dry I was um working full time. So I had to, you know, you know, my writing process had to fit around that. Um, now I'm a full time author, so I can kind of structure things, um, you know, in a more sort of focused way. Um, and it has, yeah, it has changed. It has been refined quite a lot, but I think it still comes down to a lot of core elements, um, which is, you know, finding the, um, finding the time to do it. You know, being really consistent about finding yeah, the, those those writing blocks where you can actually get you know solid work done, um, and and doing I think a little often is better than doing a whole lot you know, mm. you know once every two weeks. But I think doing a little bit every day is so much better because it keeps you in that creative headspace. So I work so I work really um, frequently, um, very sort of consistent in in trying to write you know every day really um, if I can when I'm working on a book, um, and. Um, you know, a big part of it as well is, um, for me, is um, the planning. So I know a lot of really successful authors actually don't plan. They they just, they go for it and they just, just write, you know, kind of into the mist. And they, they sort of enjoy the, you know, seeing the, the story unfold that way. But for me, that's um, that's never really been how um, I've operated. And, and each book, um, for The Dry, and then my second book, Force of Nature, and then my third book, Lost Man, I've planned more and more. Mm. So I, I always plan with the dry, I, um, I, like I always knew the start and the end and a few key points in the middle. Um, and it's sort of evolved from having that kind of base level plan. Force of Nature, I planned even more so. And then with The Lost Man, I planned extensively. Um, I did, you know, my plan was tens of thousands of words. And I, I started off with you know, five sentences, you know, beginning, middle, middle, ends. And then that five sentences became 10 and then became 20 and then became 20 paragraphs and then became mm. sort of, 
25 chapter sort of you know, guides and then to the point where I even knew kind of how I would start and end the chapters. And so then when I actually came to write it, you know, I could open up the computer and say, okay, chapter six, yeah. here's what's going to happen today in chapter six. And just fill in the gaps, basically. Yeah, I mean, I knew I knew what I needed to do for that chapter and I knew, you know, probably would need to be 2,000 words or so. And um, as long as I, you know, did that and I did th- – you know, did those those words and got that chapter or that that chunk completed, then um, as long as I did that sort of every day or five days a week or whatever I was doing it, um, you know, by a certain date that I would, you know, I'd have 30 chapters and my book would be finished. Yeah, wow. So with The Dry, the rights for the book sold worldwide before it was it was even published like it was a phenomenon it was one of those things and then it's obviously gone out there and it's resonated with a whole bunch of readers as well so all this is going on and in the meantime you've got your second book to write uh force of nature what was that process like did you feel was it I mean obviously when you're writing for yourself with your first novel that's one thing but then you know in the face of such huge success from your debut you've then got a second book to do what what was that like for you? Well, I already um, launched into the second book really before, um, you know, well before the dry came out. Right. Um, because I knew, because I had a three book publishing deal with the English language publishers. Um, so I knew there'd be more books to come and, um, and I knew, you know, they had this opportunity. So I was really keen to, um, you know, to grasp that really. I mean, it was what I'd, I'd wanted for so many years to be able to write more books. So I was really happy to, to have that you know, that chance to be able to actually write more. So, um, so I, I, so, you know, with the, the books, you, you know, the fairly long process, you know, you, you get picked up by the publisher and then there's editing processes and then the, and the editing processes start to become kind of more and more, you know, um, fine detail as they go on. Mm. Um, so by the time I was sort of getting to the end of the editing process with the dry, I'd already started writing Force of Nature and, so I was sort of well into that really before, um, you know, before a lot of the hype for the dry really started, you know, coming out. In, in, yeah. In, yeah, so I, was, I had had that benefit. Um, I also um, had the benefit of having all those years of um, journalism experience. I mean, 13 years in the newsroom, it does keep you focused, you know, and, um, and I've written under, you know, I've written under pressure a lot before, like to really tight deadlines, um, you know, on, on moving stories and things where, you know, there's facts and, and, you know, things changing all the time. So, so that wasn't, that wasn't unknown to me. Um, and I think as well, it, it just that kind of, you know, the writing practice that I find most beneficial as well is that having that consistency and just focusing on, um, you know, small manageable chunks and not getting too overwhelmed by the big picture. And, and I mean, Force of Nature was like every other, or, yeah, the other two books really. I mean, as long as I, you know, showed up at the computer and I worked on, you know, a chapter one day and the next chapter the next day and, and kept on moving forward and kept on refining it, um, there was no real reason why, you know, why that book wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be completed in the end, you know. Yeah, okay. And you were working with the same main protagonist in that novel, right? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So how it was, did, did that help? Did you, do you feel like the fact that you by this stage knew that character so well and, you know, pretty much what they would do, et cetera, et cetera? I think so. I mean, um, so the main character that is in both the dry and force of nature is um, a guy called Aaron Fork, who is the, um, he is a financial um, investigator. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
was he um you know he was he was a guy who you know we sort of got to know a little bit during the dry in terms of him he comes back to his hometown you know and he he's sort of forced to you know come to terms with a lot of things that happened in his past and people he hasn't seen in a long time so we get to know a lot about you know his background and um a little bit about what kind of makes him you know, has made him the man he is now. Um, and then in Force of Nature, it was um, a good opportunity to bring him more into the present. So we actually see him, you know, in his, you know, day-to-day job, mm. um, um, more in a kind of a, a, a current frame of mind, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so it was, it, it, was, it was great to kind of, you know, be able to kind of bring out a little bit more. Um, and I think, although he's not, he's not in The Lost Man, so he's not in my third book, but I think no. he will. That's um, something we must discuss. That's <laughs> <laughs> something we must discuss. Um, but oh, but you feel he will come back at some point for us? Oh, I think so. And, and I mean, readers ask me that a lot. You know, I mean, I think people um, have really responded to Fork um, for a lot of reasons. You know, he's he's a very he's a very you know, he's a warm character. He he you know he's a, he's a good man. He he tries to do the right thing um, wherever possible. And you know, and he has sort of um, I think he's someone that people. Um, you know, have, have, you know, found they've related to. So I do get asked a lot, you know, um, when will he be back and what will be happening to him next? So, um, yeah, I'd like to give him, you know, give him an opportunity to, um, I guess, come out of himself even more and maybe learn a little bit more about him still. All right. Well, let's talk about The Lost Man and then we can get into that a little bit because it's, it is an, an interesting question to me is, is why, you know, how, why he's not in this book, I guess, in some ways. But um, I guess the first, why don't you tell us about your new novel, which I, as as I said before we started recording, I am currently halfway through and t- finding totally absorbing. Um, so, yeah, tell us about, about The Lost Man. Yeah, sure. So The Lost Man is, um, like the other two books, it's an Australian mystery. Um, but this time it's um, set in... Uh, outback Queensland on a remote castle station and it opens um it centers around um a family of three brothers and it opens with the death of one of those three brothers and really follows this family's search to find answers about what happened to him yes indeed I'm looking forward to finding out what I'm doing (laughs) to be honest so when with your with your novel with this novel with force of nature with the dry you have this huge place um, you know, play, the place of your novels is, is, you know, when people talk about it being another character, it very much feels like that in your books. Is that somewhere, do you start there? Like, where do you begin when you're writing a novel? Do you start with a place? Did you start with the Outback, you know, station when you were writing The Lost Man? Yeah, the setting is, is something that, that comes, you know, to me really, really early. I mean, it's, it's possibly almost one of the initial things. Usually the, I have a really, um, very loose idea for plot and then an idea for a setting where I think, you know, um, you, that that could you know, that could really sort of um, help bring out this, this kind of initial idea I've had. And, um, you know, and I just, I love, like, I love the settings. And I think, you know, the Australian landscape is such a, um, is such an opportunity because it's got that kind of beauty, but also the brutality um, that really lends itself to kind of, books with a bit of suspense in them um and I, it's really important to me as well that the setting is um woven throughout the plots you know and and over the course of the book because i think it's a real shame when you've got a great setting but it, it's it almost feels a bit like um like a theater backdrop you know it mm. doesn't really it, it's sort of the action is, is literally set against it yeah. whereas um i try to be really conscious of um 
making sure that the landscape you know, it sort of drives the plot in a lot of ways. So it, it influences characters' behaviour and it um, it pushes them to act in certain ways and it maybe, you know, in some cases has made them the person that they've become, you know, through their, their upbringing there. Um, and it, it's sort of, it, it's interwoven with the action. So it's never just a separate part of, of um, what's going on. What is going on is, is largely driven by where where they are as well. So why why this particular spot for this particular story? Like, where did the inspiration? You said you sort of had an idea for a plot. Where where do you find the inspiration for a story like this? Did you go there? Were you hanging out in outback Queensland? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, I did go there. Um, and honestly, I loved writing this book. It was it was so much fun. And I I think a, a huge part of that was the research um, because I had so I had this idea about his family um, living in a, in a really isolated setting, and I. I became sort of really fascinated with these the lives of people who live in these kind of outback your know, far-flung communities mm. and how and how they actually um how they actually do that like how how do their day-to-day lives um you know operate when there's there is so far removed from what you know i'm used to with so many people in the coastal and urban areas i used to um so when i was um when I was doing my plan, um, what I did was I, um, so I had the idea and I started planning. And as part of that planning, I, I was simultaneously researching. So I, I read a lot. I started by reading a lot of memoirs, of people who'd lived in those kind of areas. Then I, um, if I could, I spoke to the person who'd written the book. Mm. And then through them, they put me in touch with other people that they obviously knew. So I spoke to like a Helen Mustering pilot and, you know, um, people who yeah, worked in like medical professions out there and things like that and got a bit of a... Um, sort of started to build up this kind of technical knowledge, I guess, about how things operate and who responds to what and, you know, how their day-to-day lives um, work. And then um, as part of the, you know, part of this research, I come across this really um, fascinating guy called um, Neil McShane who um, worked in a place called Birdsville, which is, yeah. lots of people know, it's a home of the Birdsville races. Yeah. Um, but normally it's a, a town, an outback town of 100-odd people in um, south-central Queensland. And he had lived there for 10 years um, and he was the only cop policing an area the size of Victoria all on his own for a decade. Mm-hmm. So um, as you can imagine, he had a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting um, um, stories. And I arranged to um, – I, I flew up actually in February, sort of high to summer. I flew up to meet him where he lived in Queensland, um, which is another outback town now – um, and then he and I drove 900 kilometres across the outback to Birdsville while he told me his stories and answered my questions and we yeah, looked at the sites and, um, yeah, and then in, in Birdsville, you know, spoke to a lot of people, spoke to the nurse, went out in the ambulance, went out to a few stations um, and and really, because I think, you know, it's one thing to get the, sort of the technical aspects, it's one thing to kind of know, you know, how the radios work and where they get their food from and, and things like that. But I think it was what I really wanted to get, which is, you know, what I was looking for um, was that kind of emotional, psychological um, feeling of being out somewhere that is, is, you know, is so relatively isolated and, yeah, and how that actually feels on the ground. So the- it's a very journalistic approach that you've taken to that. You like you've interviewed people, you've gone out there, you've absorbed the the feeling of the place, and um, it, it, so it, for you, it's fiction is a different, just a different type of storytelling, isn't it? Like it's like taking the things that you've learned and turning them into something else. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I mean, a lot of the 
you know, so much of the the research um, techniques that I that I use, and I, I just you know plucked completely from my journalism days. Um, I think that was what, another real benefit of having a journalism background. I Man, I wasn't really afraid to pick up the phone and just ask people. You know, mm. I mean, people are really, um, really amazingly keen to help you. I mean, a lot of people people love talking about themselves. And they love when someone's <laughs> interested in their job. You know, so I think that's one thing I would say to um, aspiring writers is that. You know, I, I knew that from working as a journalist. Like, I knew it is actually often if you call up someone and ask to, you know, with a, you know, genuine intentions, ask to speak to them and learn a bit more about them or their life or what they do, people often will help you if they can. Yeah. Um, but I'd always done that with the kind of the security of having a newspaper behind me. Mm. And I wasn't sure really if I would have the same response just calling up having, you know, I'm just writing a fiction book and, you know... Um, is is not maybe doesn't have quite the same foot in the door, but I mean, it, people again were incredibly helpful and you know really really keen to talk and um, very sort of very generous with their their time and, and their information. So your list of acknowledgements for this one is long, I'd imagine. It was quite long, yes. It was long. <laughs> All right. So this story, obviously, we just discussed before. Uh, Fork is not in this, which is a little bit of a confounding of reader expectation in a way, because he's been there for the first two, and I think people might expect that the next Jane Harper, because often crime authors will run the same main protagonist. You know, people get very attached to them and crime readers in particular get very attached to them. And I know this because I interviewed Michael Robotham, who tells me that he gets cranky letters every time he writes a book that doesn't feature Joe Lachlan, which is his main, you know, main protagonist. Are you, are you getting the same? Are you expecting the same? Um, no, not at all, actually. I mean, people have been, um, people do sometimes ask, you know, is, is Fork coming back? But um, I haven't had any, any cranky responses, I have to say, which is, um, <laughs> which is, which is a relief having, having heard that. Um, no, people have been actually really, um, really on board with it. I think, um, yeah, I mean, for me, for me, honestly, it wasn't actually a difficult decision to write the third book as a standalone because, you know, when I started to write a book, I always just want to tell a story in the best possible way. And a big part of that is choosing the right characters. And I, and I had this um, idea and this setting so, so early, you know, it was quite solid for me quite early. And I, and I just knew with Fork being, you know, he's a he's a he's a financial investigator. He's, he's based in Melbourne. Um, there was no realistic way he was possibly going to be able to um, get out there unless he was on some sort of four wheel driving holiday or something. Probably you know, out there for an audit or anything. <laughs> so, um, so it just it was never really something that I I spent a lot of time debating or worrying about because I knew that the characters that I had in the book were the right ones for the book, and for me. You know, I loved writing about them. It's set around um, this family of three brothers. The main character is a guy called Nathan Bright. And I just, I, I so enjoyed writing about him and letting his characters kind of unfold through the novel. And so um, I, I think, you know, the sort of, for me, as long as you, I guess as long as you, you know, give readers um, a good story and good characters, um, I mean, for me as a reader, that's what's important. And, and that was really what I, what I kept in mind when I was writing this one. Terrific. So, um, all right then. So what to you then are the key elements for creating a page turning crime novel? Because you've done it again here and it's, you know, there, it's slightly different to what you've done before, but the page turning aspect of it is most assuredly still there. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, you know, all three books are, you know, um, 
you know that that kind of I guess a tone of feel you know is is um is something that um you know I, I wanted to bring out yeah, in a similar way in all three books really and give people so that they it's it's even you know with the third book being a standalone it's still very recognizably one of my books Definitely, and you yeah. know and it's something that they I feel you know yeah is, is is what they would expect when they pick it up really in a lot of ways um and I think um oh, there's a few things that um probably I mean all I can really tell you is what I bear in mind when I'm writing the books and one of them is um for me I think the plot has to hold together and um a starting point for that is I always know I always know like the base plots and by that I mean kind of I guess the who done it you yeah. know like what's happened and why and for what reasons and that has to be completely solid in my mind before I can think about anything else really and but once that is solid I do find it then um that's when I can start to sort of think about secondary characters and um different ways in which you know you can let this sort of story unfold that will ideally lead the reader maybe you know to think in one direction rather than another direction you know and it's 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 because I, I have that security of knowing that the the underlying plot is um is there yeah. um and then so that's kind of i guess the structure and in terms of the actual execution um a lot of it is about um you know thinking really hard i guess about how you're going to let the information unfold so at what point are you going to give the readers um certain knowledge that they need and i think you you've got to you've got to drip feed that um, you know, you can't leave it all to the end and you can't pile it all in at the start. It's got to be kind of, um, you've got to give like little rewards, you know. So so things that keep people engaged and give them a little bit more information and push the story forward without giving it all away too quickly or like, making them wait too long either because that's that's equally frustrating. Um, and a lot of that is just, is a little bit trial and error, you know. It's think, how am I going to end this chapter or how am I going to start the next chapter? Um and sometimes I'll try things a few different ways and just see what feels right, you know, and what kind of um, works best on the page. Um, and I think also just, you know, which is another kind of journalism tip, was um, get people get people interested early, you know, because um, you've got to you can't spend a lot of time expecting that people will stick with you for some sort of promised yeah. reward at the end you know it's got it you've got to engage them right from the start and you've got to keep them engaged throughout and um you I, I, when we were you know doing my journalism training we were always told like don't you always assume people won't finish your articles you know they'll get bored they'll get distracted you've got to try and keep them in there and that's what i think when i'm writing the books i always think that like what what can i do to kind of just get them to turn one more page and just keep on going and um yeah stick with it right till the end is there a drafting process then, like in the sense of, like, I know you were saying that you plan extensively and you're doing, um, you know, different varieties of, of variations on plot. Once you've got, once you've sat down every day and you've actually written that first manuscript, you've actually got a draft, do you find that you're moving things around much in the second draft or is it fairly much set by the time you get to the end of the first draft? Do you know, it's funny because actually um, it, it does change a bit. Um, so despite all that planning, um, yeah, it does. And I think I just embrace that as part of the process because I think that's also a real trap that people can fall into where, you know, because I know it's so hard. You, know, you put all this work into it. You've got these words up on the page. And your word count is finally, like, up there, you know, um, and you've got chapters and everything. And then suddenly, 
you know, it's, something's not quite working and it is, it is actually, it is hard, I know, to break into something and, you know, have to delete things and have to restructure things. But I, I think that that is make, that makes a real difference and that can really turn a novel from, you know, weak to, to good, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, making be able to sort of commit to those changes. So, I mean, I, I, I completed it. So I did my plan and I completed my whole sort of draft and it, it came out exactly as I planned it. And it was almost like the minute I kind of finished it, um, I suddenly could see... I could suddenly see other things that I needed to add in. And I think it was just having that security of having that first draft. Let me, let me then you know, look, look beyond that. Yeah. Um, and it, it was, it was a really bittersweet moment because I knew, I knew the ideas I had would make it better, but at the same time, I also knew they would involve extensive rewriting. So, I mean, I probably ended up rewriting. It would be a good 70% of that novel in the end. Um, really. And I'm not just talking editing. I'm talking like re, re, rewriting whole chapters and things so um but at the same time you know as hard as it is to kind of commit to doing that I look back and I'm so thankful that I did because I think at the end you want to be able to look back and think yeah you know this book um I could not have written this book any better like for me personally this is told in the best possible way that I can tell it yeah I often think that it's the stuff that when you think about making the changes and it's physically painful to even think about it you know that you have to do it because that's what's going to actually make it better Exactly. Ones. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. And I mean, it's just, and I mean, like I said, I just sort of try and, you know, I, I, I honestly try, I do genuinely try and embrace it because I think if, you know, if I hadn't done all that planning and done that first draft, I maybe wouldn't have seen those changes and I, they, they maybe never would have occurred to me. And what a shame that would have been, you know, so I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I had that, that draft in place to help me then take that next step. So what are you working on at the moment? Is there something new coming or are you just going to kind of work very hard across 87 different continents to promote um, The Lost Man or what happens um, now? <laughs> so I've been um, – so The Lost Man has, uh, came out um, in October in Australia and I did a, a national tour for that, which is really great. You know, it's really fun to actually sort of meet, you know, readers and booksellers and um, get, to, get a chance to come out from behind my computer, you know. So that was really good. And then um, I'm going over to the US and the UK um, in 2019 when the book comes out over there in hardback and paperback. Um, uh, and then, yeah, but then I'm, I'm, I'm you know, working on something else at the moment. I mean, I think um, for me just, you know, I, I like I love I love writing and I love kind of working on books and um you know, I, I don't really feel the need to take some huge amounts of time away from that because, you know, I enjoy the process. And I think for me, having that kind of consistency and keeping those ideas going is, you know, part of the best bit, really. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. We're going to finish up today with our famous or infamous, whichever way you like to look at it, last question, which is um, what are your top three tips for writers? Jane Harper. Yeah. So, um, sorry, I'm not sure if um, this is... <laughs> It is a sort of welcome or not, but I actually did do um, a whole TEDx talk on my my kind of creative process, and like really focuses ten minutes of me talking about the actual kind of practical steps I, steps I took to finish a creative project. So if you're interested, I am. So um, we, we'll, put, we'll put the link in the show notes. So tell us oh, where okay. it is. Um, yeah. So it's on. Um, so so it's TEDx. I think you just Google so TEDx Jane Harper. It will. Um, it should come up, and it's. Um, it's about. Um, so it, it just sort of it, it, uh, so I'll give you the I'll give you the 
the short version. Um, but if, you, if you'd like um, a little bit more sort of full explanation, um, there is that available as well. But what it essentially says in a nutshell is, is there's three things that really, um, I think, um, absolutely were um, crucial to me to um, completing my first manuscripts as like an aspiring novelist that may help me get there. Um, the first one is um, finding the motivation to start in the first place. And I touched on that a little bit, but um, what I mean by that really is not letting yourself get overwhelmed by all those what if questions. Because if you set out to think, I want to write a book and but if it doesn't get published, if it doesn't sell, it doesn't, you know, it isn't well received, it's not going to be worth the time and effort. Um, it's really, really hard for you to, um, actually get started because it just becomes this huge unachievable goal mm. and um, I think what you know, helped me was just changing that mindset and thinking I'm just going to write it for myself and that in itself is worth my time and effort because for me that's important enough and, and that was a really huge mental leap for me so that was important a motivation to start the second one was um, time management and again I touched on this a bit but five for this, this, this looks different for everybody. So there's no point in, in really asking authors, you know, what does your day look like? Because everybody's day looks different. And it's really about finding that time for you that fits in with your day-to-day -day life because you're not going to have a huge block of time open up, mm. most likely, when you can just work on this project. So, um, but what I would urge you to aim for is consistency. So finding a little bit of time as often as you can and really keeping those ideas and that creativity flowing and seeing your project develop as well, seeing that it build up. And the third thing is um, working on your technical ability because, again, I think people underestimate their own ability to improve in a creative field. Mm. Um, and they seem to think that for some reason, you know, whatever kind of natural talent you have is all that you have and all you'll ever have. And it's just not true. You can absolutely improve. And your first draft is not going to be your best draft and it's probably not going to be any good anyway, you know. So, so let yourself make mistakes and practice and you know if you need to if you need to take a course or you need to read some writing books or go and listen to experts speak you know and just get some sort of get like technical skills so that when you actually come to work on your project you actually have a bit of um your technical ability to fall back on Fantastic. All right. Well, we will put the link in the show notes to Jane's TEDx talk, which obviously will be fabulous given the three tips she's just given us. And um, we will say best of luck for the new novel coming out, you know, in all of the places over the next um, 12 months or so. And also with the one that you're working on at the moment. And thank you so much for your time today, Jane. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step -step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book's success. You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how ebooks and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash publishing. 
That's writercentre.com.au slash publishing. Great interview, Al. So cool. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, she was so generous with her with her time and with her knowledge. And um, I just, you know, I very much enjoyed, you know, the whole conversation really. Like I, I, there's so much to learn from these interviews. And I think there's a lot to learn from these interviews, whether you are just starting out as an author, whether you are, you know, a multi-published author, like wherever you are on, on the various um on the various chains of, of authordom, I feel <laughs> like it's definitely worth having a look to see. To, and, and remember, we. so here's the thing. I went through and I made a big list because, of, you know, I realised that we're quite disorganised really. Like we do our best <laughs> to be organised but we're actually quite disorganised. So I made a big list of all of our podcast um, interviews. And, of course, we are – this is episode 265, so we have done an awful lot of author interviews. Yes. And I divided them all up into genre and I had the nonfiction and the memoir and I had the lit fic and I – and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm really proud of the fact that we we cover, like, each of the genre – like, sort of areas of publishing that we talk about, mm. we cover them relatively even-handedly. Um, I have seen some room for improvement in some areas and those are areas that we'll definitely be working on in the year to come. Um, but there are so many interesting people there that we have interviewed yeah. over the last, you know, four years or however long, however long, how long have we been doing this for forever? Oh, okay. um, so many interesting ones. And I, I feel like, you know, if you haven't, you, there's something to learn from every single one of those authors that we've talked to. So if, mm. if you haven't listened to the ones that are perhaps not in your area of interest, um, go back and have a oh. listen to some of them because yep, those not sure. particularly like because nonfiction is not really my area of of you know I mean obviously having worked in journalism and written my own nonfic books I do understand how it works but it's not really my um, it's not my go to like when we're seeking author interviews I tend to come down in the fiction end of town um, but I've been having a listen to some of those nonfiction uh, interviews again and this the, from a research perspective mm. from a who to ask questions of perspective from the things you can learn from the process of putting one of those things together so worth listening to so if you haven't listened to some of those go back like you know archaeologists Mm. writing books are actually really really interesting people (laughs) all All right great so um until we chat what will you be doing al until we chat again uh what oh do you know what I'm doing I'm what? going what? to here's the thing I'm going to what? the kids day out at DAPTO I'm going to be giving an oh, author talk yes. it's a free event at DAPTO on the 17th of January Thursday the 17th of January um I'll put the link in the show notes if you are in the area please come on down the um the link in the show notes will have the timetable so you can see what time I'm on because I can't remember um <laughs> but I'll be there I'll have books with me I'll be signing books I'll be chatting I'll be meeting kids um and there's a great program uh Sue Whiting, of course, is a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre. She's also going to be there. So it's um, – and she had one of the big books of last year, which I was so excited about. Her middle grade novel, Missing, mm. was one of the – was was a bestseller at several of the, you know, indie book sh- uh, shops and things like that. Like she's made some impact there with a standalone, which is really difficult to do in kids – in kids uh, publishing and she's done a great job so um, she'll be there and yeah as I said if you're around Dapto Library uh, 17th of January link in the show notes come and say hi to me I would love to meet you awesome fantastic all right that brings us to the end of this week's episode where do we find you online Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. 
And you, Val, where do we find you? Maybe we should put that on a T-shirt. And you, Val, where do we <laughs> yes. find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. If you want to check out the show notes and any of the links that we've mentioned in this episode, then go to SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. And thanks for listening, everyone. We look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.